On this week's episode of Empower, we discuss the power of the vote. Elections are on the horizon and we have to make sure that everyone is engaged. Empower is a podcast presented by the Houston Area Urban League that serves to inform young professionals about the Urban League, its programs, and the various civic and social topics pertinent to the community they serve. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Hey, Charlie. How you doing? I am well. You good? Yes, ma'am. Welcome to Confluence the Lifestyle, where confidence meets influence. I'm so happy to have you on. Yes, I'm glad to be here. I know we've been uh, trying to coordinate this, I want to say, for a few months now. So finally able to make it happen and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been almost a year since we've been trying to make this happen. Has it? Mm-hmm. I met you last September. Man, this uh, corona has really messed up my perception of time. Because I've been in the house for, was it like six months now? Yes. So. Well, I, can you imagine me? I live my life in semesters. So spring, fall, summer. So I'm like, what day is it again? Oh, it's Wednesday. Oh, oh, today, Friday. So can't just imagine my life as an educator, like what's really happening right now in my world. My perception is all the way thrown off. Oh, no. I know y'all are getting hit with it uh, from all angles. My friends that are in the education space, um, and we actually just had a conversation about that last week. You know, obviously, you know, it's a lot of controversy around kids going back into the school, the teachers, the administrators, and, um, you know, we just got to continue to pray and hopefully everybody comes out of this safely, but it's very, very interesting time right now. It's a very interesting time. So we just got to jump in and start talking. Tell everybody who you are and what you do. Yes. Um, my name is Ray Shackleford and I am president of the National Urban League Young Professionals. We are a 21 to 40 age demographic that supports the National Urban League and it's more than 90 affiliates across the country through volunteerism, advocacy, fundraising, and developing our members to lead not just within the Urban League but within their respective communities. Uh, and here in Houston specifically, I work as a community organizer, uh, engaging our community, the Black community primarily, around the census, voter registration, get out the vote, voter education, pretty much anything in that civic engagement, advocacy space, and even a little bit of the uh, the policy as well. So very engaged in that respect, been involved with the Urban League now as an adult for a little over 11 years. And I say as an adult just because I did uh, get introduced to them in high school my mother used to work there and so i have her to thank for my long tenure and engagement uh with the urban league because she started me on that path so shout out to all the black women out there you know some people are listening i know what the urban league is but some people are listening like what is the urban can you give people a little bit of background on the urban league Yes, absolutely. So from a national perspective, we actually turn 110 years old 
this September. We are the uh, second oldest civil rights organization behind the NAACP. And if you think about the early 1900s, we were established. Um, well, unfortunately, some of those same issues exist today, but um, very different time when you're talking about where black people stood and how we were being treated. And it was born to help us primarily from an economic perspective when you're talking about housing, jobs, education, uh, very much engaging from a, a grass tops perspective, but also in some instances, grassroots being born in the community. And then from local uh, perspective, the Houston area early was established in June of 1968 in the heart of the civil rights era. Mm -hmm. And their mission is to support African-Americans, other minorities to establish economic self-reliance, parity power and civil rights. And they do that through a number of different programs. When you look at housing, education, workforce development, workforce training, economic development and health. And just to give you an example, some of those programs are first time home buyers. So they help people transition from renting to owning a home because there's a lot you have to learn uh, when you're now responsible for all these different things concerning your house and even getting down payment assistance in conjunction with the city and other programs, in some instances up to $30,000. And also helping people to establish small businesses. So we train people, uh, we actually have the Small Business University. I think it's going to start again here in another week or so. But they learn how to do business plans, marketing, break-even analysis. And at the end, they actually get to pitch their businesses for potential investment. Uh, we've been very successful at training people on how to pitch their business to get investment, which is basically, you know, your anywhere from one minute to five minute uh, presentation on why people should invest in you and your business. Uh, we've had a lot of success there. So those are just some of the things that the, uh, the Urban League does in the community. And even right now, in response to the coronavirus, uh, I do want to mention this, is we are assisting people with paying their rent uh, as well as utilities. So being there to support the community uh, in the good times. And the bad. Wow. Love it. Positively love it. Um, because during a time such as this, people need to know that A, the resources are available, but B, there are people there to help you. You know, sometimes we're led to the resource and then it's like, okay, now what? What do I do with this? So that is great. So kudos to the Urban League. Shout out to you and, you know, the young professionals. I follow quite a few of the people that's on the board and I see it. I am over 40. So I wouldn't, you know, be a young professional. It hurts to say I'm not, you know, a young adult anymore. Like, what era do I classify myself in? You know, it's like they don't have a place anywhere in the church, in the community. It's like they don't know where exactly to file the person that turns 41 between 40, I'm going to say nine. You know what I mean? Like, it's like we are lost, you know, sector. But it's good no, to know it's... that, you know. That exists. And it's funny you said that just because that's even something we're exploring more now with the Urban League because, you know, you can start. No, it's funny that you said that uh, because from, you know, 41 to the late 40s, early 50s, 
just because it has been a struggle to engage them consistently. Uh, so it's an issue, like you said, not only in the church, I think with a lot of our nonprofits and volunteer organizations, uh, but you and I, you know, met via our education department uh, where we were actually there to talk about the literacy program. John Robinson, our executive director of education, he came in there to do his, his presentation. You know, he gets up there, extra, extra, read all about it. Very excited <laughs> about literacy and engaging young people and teachers. And so he had me come along with him. And before, you know, the coronavirus shut the world down, I would go with John to all these different schools, uh, but to talk to people about the census and different things from a civic perspective. And that was how you and I connected in that space. Yes. So let's get into politics for a little minute, if you will. So last night ended the Democratic National Convention. So what's next? Because some people just don't know. And it's like teaching. I cannot give people a test if I have not taught the subject or the content. So some people are like, okay, so what, what happens next? So can you explain what happens next to the listeners that may not know? No, absolutely. Um, and I will throw this disclaimer out there. The Urban League is a nonpartisan organization, so we do not align with any political party or any candidates. Uh, the things that you see us pushing are typically issue-based uh, based on the community that we serve. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that being said, the, the DNC did end on yesterday. Uh, I believe the RNC, which is the Republican National Convention, is next up. Uh, so you have our two major political parties. These are uh, what they describe, I think, almost as like the Super Bowl for people that are like really into politics. They get very excited about this time of year. And you see who the nominees are for president, for vice president, and, you know, further down the respective tickets and the people that are going to be on our ballots uh, this November. And so at this point, where we are is twofold from an a election perspective. We're trying to make sure that people are registered to vote. What is it? Ten days. And, and what that is, I'll explain real quick, is. If you've ever gotten a text message asking, are you registered to vote? Uh, a lot of times that is real people. So we have different applications that we use. We'll reach out to, hey, are you registered to vote? Do you need help with that? We'll send them to where they can get the application because we don't have online voter registration here in the state of Texas. Uh, so that's the first part, make sure that people are registered. The next thing is determining, you know, what's on your ballot, who are you going to vote for? And because we are nonpartisan, we don't, you know, push anybody towards uh, specific candidates. We direct them to resources like the League of Women Voters, another nonpartisan organization. And what they do is get these questionnaires filled out by all the candidates, uh, Republican, Democratic, Independent, et cetera, and then provide that information to the community for you to read it and make your own decisions on who you want to vote for based off what you think is based for uh, best for you and your family. Um, mm -hmm. And then from there, you need to have a plan to vote. So right now there's a big issue. We actually are part of a civil rights lawsuit uh, with other civil rights organizations around what's been taking place with the U S postal service, because they have been, you know, uh, mail processing mailboxes. machines and mailboxes 
which hinders people's ability to do mail-in ballots, which is very critical right now with the coronavirus when we're trying to cut down on large bodies of people and be able to vote and interact as safely as possible. Uh, and so if you're going to vote by mail, we do have the option here in Harris County where you can take your ballot to one of the county offices and drop it off so you don't have to worry about it going through mail to make sure that your vote is counted. Then you can, if you're not going to do mail-in ballot, if you don't qualify for that, um, there was another lawsuit where we were trying to get broader um, inclusion on that. There was a lot of back and forth. And, you know, because of that, the AG for the state of Texas said that he was not going to allow the catch the virus. That's still a very controversial topic uh, that is tied up in court. And so for those that are not able to mail, mail-in ballot, finding your polling location. So if it's parentsvotes.com, again, if you're in the county, votetexas.gov, and seeing where you're going to go, because early voting is October the 13th, that's a Tuesday, and it runs until October the 30th. So finding those polling locations and then actually voting. So that's the high-level overview of, you know, what the next few months look like. Um, I can't remember. I think we have a little over... 60 something days until election day. Uh, but it's going to come very, very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, one of the challenges that, that we're running into right now is uh, whether or not people feel like they should vote. Uh, that was going to be my next question. So that's good that you say all of that. So some people don't know what it actually means to be a registered voter. So what is a registered voter. Yes. So in the state of Texas, we do not have automatic voter registration or online voter registration. So you have to actually fill a paper document and it takes about, we'll say three to four minutes. And once you complete it, you submit it to the uh, county registrar and they process it, and you are then legally able to vote. Um, well, excuse me, the tax assessor, but you have what's called volunteer deputy voter registrar. So it can get very complicated, but real quick, what that is, in order to register somebody to vote in the state of Texas, you have to be certified at a, as a voter registrar, and there's a hour-long class. It used to be that it was required that you had to do it in person, uh, we pushed for it and we're able to get it approved to where they now offer it online. And so we got a lot of people now that are voter deputies able to do it uh, via Zoom, which was a huge help because now we have more people that are able to go out and register even more people to vote. So it helps in terms of kind of spreading that out. But back to uh, the voter registration piece, the the obstacles that are in place are if you are on paper, so if you are on probation, if you're on parole, or if you owe some type of restitution tied to that offense, those are the things that will prevent you from being able to get registered to vote. Mm. Outside of that, um, and then obviously being a citizen, um, you would, you're would you able to register to vote. So those are the obstacles. Citizenship, uh, and if you have some type of offense where you're on paper and or owe restitution to an offense, 
But outside of that, you're able to register legally, submit that piece of paper document, and then you are good to go and vote uh, here in the state of Texas. Wow. So some people say, I mean, why should I vote? You know, I vote because somebody died for me to vote, right? Because, A, the 15th Amendment, I believe the year was 1870, said that Black men so could vote. But, you know, what about the women? So not only do I vote because I'm Black, but because I'm a woman, because my ancestors died for it, because they had to take literacy tests to just do it. And now, like, all I got to do is just exercise it, and I don't do it. So why should we vote from your standpoint? I know why, but why should we <laughs> Well, and I guess, Charlie, what I, what I would try to do is cover a couple of different reasons because, you know, why somebody should vote or why it's important to vote is going to vary from person to person. It really depends on you. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to, you know, why people join a fraternity or sorority or, or the urban league. There's, there's usually some some type of alignment, but people have their own reasons. Uh, and so you kind of alluded to the historical component when you're talking about Black people, African-Americans in this country, you know, being written into the Constitution, not even as a whole person. Then you had, of course, uh, the amendment that then gave us uh, the ability to be recognized as a whole person and the ability to actually vote. Um, And then women got their right even later. And so when you look at all of those historical things, that is definitely a good reason. But it's not reason enough for some people, unfortunately. And even like you said, people died for us to have the ability uh, to vote. So it's definitely something we don't want to take for granted. But even if you don't look at those historical things, uh, you know, it's something that impacts our everyday life. Mm-hmm. And so for one instance, uh, from a judicial system, when you're talking about judges. These are people that get elected to, you know, make decisions about your life. You know, God forbid, if you or one of your loved ones does have to go through the criminal justice system, or even if it's just for a traffic ticket, uh, you have what's called, you know, the Justice of the Peace Court. That is one that handles you know, traffic citations. They also handle evictions, foreclosures, uh, even disputes between neighbors. Like if you got into an argument, somebody broke your fence or something like that. That is something, you know, very small that a lot of people interact with that court. But if you don't vote, you don't determine who sits in that seat and who's making that decisions, making those decisions. And if they are somebody who either lived your experience or at least is someone who is empathetic and open to other experiences than their own. Because that's, you know, one of the big issues that we have with, you know, politics and certain elected officials is they don't have either that lived experience coming from certain communities or at least the ability to be empathetic and open to receive new information just because it was not a part of their experience. Um, And even when you look at the most recent events, you know, there's been a lot of unrest across the country and rightfully so when you look at the buildup from uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and then George Floyd was when it just kind of, you know, exploded. Exploded onto the same, yeah. Yeah, and not just, you know, 
nationally, but um, it was globally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and how do we get a police chief? You know, that's somebody that is appointed by the mayor. And if you look at the numbers from our municipal election last fall, which is where we voted for the mayor, city council, um, and some other roles, but those, oh, also, um, well, those are the main ones people, I guess, would recognize. So I'll just stay there, city council and mayor. Um, but it was less than, I want to say, 12% of the registered voters within the city of Houston. And so you're talking about, I think, less than 300,000 people that got to choose the mayor of the third largest city in the country, as well as the city council. And so when you only have that many people that vote, but obviously everybody's upset with, well, just everybody, a lot of people are upset about different things that are taking place when it comes to uh, law enforcement. They looked at, you know, the city budgets, but, you know, the question becomes, did you vote? And that's ultimately one of the ways that you elevate your voice is, you know, when you cast that ballot in local and national elections, uh, because we've seen, you know, even in the coronavirus, the people that are making these decisions, when you're talking about the governor and these different orders when it comes to mask or, you know, social distancing, we've had almost, and forgive me, I can't remember the, the latest count, but almost 200,000 Americans have died as a result of the coronavirus. And part of that is tied to lack of leadership and bad decisions made by people that were elected, either by people that voted for them or those who didn't vote. Because even when you don't vote, hmm. you they're, still put them in office. Exactly. <laughs> You're still helping to put those people in office. And so the reality is the process is going to go on if whether you participate or not. Hmm. So why not? make sure, like you said, that you have your skin in the game. You are represented because the reality also is that whether you vote for them or not, they represent you. But at least then you can go into their office or you can go to city council meetings on Tuesday saying, hey, I voted for you. This is what you said you were going to do and you're not doing it. And I think that's one of the things we also miss. And I'm getting kind of long-winded right now, but um is that accountability piece. Like we can't expect to cast a ballot and all of our life's problems go away. That's, that's not real. Say it's a part of the, for the people in the back with the cheek seats <laughs> up in the nosebleed because they think that a system fails them. Right. Like, you know, I like you and I talked off there, but I had the beautiful ability to take political science one-on-one and one-on-two but when I go back and I try to educate my people in the hood that didn't have that great ability and they're trying to understand the due process and what it really means. And it's like, I thought if I put this person in the office, you know how they say, you know how my people are, you know, that everything, it's not going to go away. We're talking about centuries, centuries, not years, centuries of issues of problems. But if you get somebody in the office that understands you, that understands the disparity between, you know, dejection and hope, some things can really happen today. No, 
But can it happen? Yes. And change don't happen overnight. Not even a butterfly changes overnight. You got to go through a process. But say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it, it's not, it's almost like we have this uh, savior complex where we elect this person and our lives are instantly going to change. And like you said, nothing happens overnight. When I think about um, like this year, I've lost, I think, 40 pounds. It did not happen overnight. I think it was probably like a 60 to 90 day period for me changing my diet, being very disciplined, like very specific things that I had to do in order to get there. And so even if you look at, you know, the government as a body and the fact, like you said, it's been going on for centuries of systemic oppression, all these different issues. You're not going to just get in shape all of a sudden just because you get one person in office. It takes, you know, decades. And I, I don't even know how long it'll take. But part of it is, you know, the types of people we get in office. And if you don't like the type of people running for office, then either get somebody to run that you think is more aligned with who you are in your community or ultimately you hear certain elected officials talk about how they didn't see the representation so they so they decided to run because that also is a is an option for you as well um but you can't be on the sideline because the game is still going to be played um and so we have to be active participants and make sure that we're holding them accountable speaking up at city council meetings uh, county commissioner meetings. And these things are open to the public. You can sign up for public comment. Um, I've been encouraged because in the last few months, probably more than I can remember, people have been signing up and they've been letting them, letting the elected officials know how they feel. And, you know, is it always the most professional? No, but that doesn't matter. You know what's wrong in your community. You know what you and your family need. So you don't have to get up there and make sure that you enunciate every verb or, you know, everything sounds a certain way. You just need to let them know what needs to be done for you and your community and voice that and continue to voice that. You cannot stop because that is a part of that process. And if you are not, you know, constantly uh, making those things known, it can get left off to the side because at the end of the day, just like there's no perfect people, there are no perfect politicians, no perfect elected officials. They have to be held accountable just like anybody else. But I think that's what we got to realize that <laughs> I'm going to go to church right quick. There is not one perfect person that walked the face of this earth. No, not one. <laughs> no, not one. And what we have to realize is that Voting is the community, and it can start here. You can see things at this level, at your community level, before you can see it at a national. That that's kind of also why I always vote. I get to see it. My eyes get to see the changes here at this level, at the municipal level, versus at the national level, right? Because my community matters. Because my community affects my city, and my city affects the nation, and so that's one reason. I, I also put my voice in. It's my voice, son. I'm speaking up. I mean, from huh, the deeds of this subdivision all the way up. You know, 
my subdivision hate to see me coming. I pay. I pay, so I'm finna speak. And I and I say finna. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and that's what that's what you have to do. Um, you you have to organize, you have to speak up, and you don't, you know, you don't have to be an elected official to always bring about change because even within our structure here in Houston, and a lot of people don't get this either, is we have a strong mayoral city in terms of how it's structured. Mm -hmm. So even if you have your city council person, there are limitations on what they can and can't do based on our city charter. The mayor is the one who sets the agenda. He has the majority of the power in our government here in the city of Houston. Um, and so it's one of the most critical roles. But then even understanding, you know, financially, all those different elements that are tied to how government is run and what they deem to be priority. It may not be the same thing that you think is important. Um, you know, they may be more focused on different infrastructure projects. You may want them to put more money uh, back into your community, repaving streets, street lights from a safety perspective, all of those types of things. But like you said, these are local things that I'm referencing right now where we need people to engage. And even, you know, when it comes to the census, that was, again, how you and I connected. That's something that's still going on. And we still need people to do it because in the state of Texas and in Harris County, uh, we have not passed, I don't think, the 60 percent threshold on the self-response rate. So we still need people to complete that because that's money that will or will not come back to our community mm -hmm. based on if we complete that survey. And, and it's simple. It's simple. I did yes. mine a lot. It's simple. Tell everybody if they how they can do the census right quick. Yes. Yeah, so you go to my2020census.gov uh, and it literally takes five minutes or less. I think I did mine in three minutes. It's like nine or ten questions. Very quick, very simple. Um, make sure you reference everybody in your household. I know that's been another thing because sometimes uh, you may have a limit, let's say, on your lease of two people, but you have four or five people. That information is legally protected. People will go to jail and or face fines up to a quarter of a million dollars if that information is used for anything else. So please don't be concerned about that. Complete the census. I get the uh, the mistrust when it comes to, to government, especially talking about in our community, in the black community, and it is well-founded. Um, but I'm also making sure that we tell people and help them understand that this is funding that we need. And our community is always under-resourced. This is part of that. Um, and it's also coming out of your tax dollars. So, you know, it's something that if you are a taxpaying citizen, it's money that's owed to you. So please just take that time, my2020census.gov, to complete the census, uh, the National Urban League's campaign to make Black count. We were undercounted by 3.7 million uh, people in 2010 that we know of. And so we cannot have that happen again in 2020. So you have until September the 30th uh, right now to get that done. Wow. Undercounted. That like, like, that's not a little number. That's like a major number. Undercounted. 
and it's I think a lot of these things historically that's why I appreciate the Urban League for doing what they do and you for going out making you know this age group I'm out of the young adult age group but you know the young adult age group be comfortable in recruiting other people in this process so I appreciate that no absolutely we need everybody to be engaged um, across the board. So my last question, what does political efficacy mean to you or look like for you? So I think for me, when I think about efficacy and from a political standpoint, what that trust looks like when it comes to government, it is... I mean, it's an imperfect relationship. Um, part of it is the responsibility. And I would say that the majority of the burden is the responsibility of the elected officials and those that serve in these different uh, capacities to do the outreach, to do the engagement, to include the community. But I will also say that Time has shown that we can't depend on it. Everybody is not going to be concerned about making sure that we all are a part of the process. And in some instances, we have seen where people deliberately try to suppress and or not include specific parts of the population in the process. And mm -hmm. so because of that, it is incumbent upon on me, on you, on everybody to do your due diligence, to educate yourself as much as you can to connect with the resources so that you are registered, you are educated and engaged in the process and not just voting on election day or early voting, but continuously throughout the course of the year, know who your congressperson is, know who your city council person is, Get familiar with their staff, make sure they know you um, and communicate what is needed by you and your community. And, you know, it's helpful to organize. We mentioned that briefly earlier. If you have a group um, in your neighborhood of, I don't know, 50 people, whatever it looks like, that just gives you that much more of a voice when you go into that office saying me and my neighbors that live on this block and be able to speak to that want to see this. This is why. How are you going to make it happen? What is your response? Because the thing I think we miss is that elected officials are public servants. Uh -huh. You serve the public. You serve them whether they voted for you or not. And so we have to make sure we're doing our part in that relationship to engage them in a meaningful way and make sure that they are accountable and we have some type of rapport so that our communities don't get left out and left behind. Say that again. All right. Tell me one thing you rocking. You rocking right now. I mean, I heard you say you lost 40 pounds. So I know, you know, <laughs> but one thing that you rocking right now. One thing I'm actually right now, I actually have on a uh, National Urban League what does this say for the uh for the movement 
shirt. So this is actually the National Urban League's podcast. Uh, that was not planned, but of course I do have a lot of Urban League shirts. Um, but yeah, you know, we still in the house, Charlie, so it's not really too much I can rock. I go to my parents' house, might have some fresh sneakers on, but that's, that's about it. That's about it. And if people want to get involved in Young Professionals, where can they go to be involved? Yes, if you are here in the city of Houston, you can go to H-A-U-L-Y-P dot org. Uh, the president is Dion Dorsett. That is my my frat brother. I mess with him and say he's my Urban League Neo uh, just because I'm older in the Urban League, but he's older in the frat. Uh, shout out to Omega Sci-Fi. And then from a national perspective, N-U-L-Y-P dot org. Uh, you can find me, Ray Shackleford. I serve as a national president on all social media platforms. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, I respond. So reach out to us. We want to make sure you're plugged in. Uh, we need your help with the census, with the election, getting people registered and out to vote. Most definitely. And I want to be a part of the Small Business Academy. So I need that information because I am ready to take my business, Confluence the Lifestyle, to the next level. So thank you for your nuggets and tidbits of information on today. I appreciate you so much for making the time for little old me. <laughs> no problem. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. To learn more about how the Houston Area Urban League is impacting the community and ways you can get involved, visit us online at haul.org. Follow us on Twitter at HOU Urban League and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcasting platform you enjoy. Thanks for listening to Empower, presented by the Houston Area Urban League.